very little support. Good tackle by Slattery of Ireland. Almost on the halfway line. Kirkpatrick to Williams. This is great stuff. Phil Bennett covering. Chased by Alistair Scull. Brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. John Williams. Brian Williams. Pullin. John Dawes. Great dummy. David, Tom David, the halfway line. Brilliant by Quinnell. This is Gareth Edwards. A dramatic start. What a score. Oh, that fellow Edwards. world-famous words of Cliff Morgan on the BBC herald a very special edition of Rugby World magazine's One Game at a Time. To celebrate the 60th birthday of the world's best-selling rugby magazine, we go back nearly 50 years. Arguably the greatest player to play the game, talking about possibly the greatest game ever played. What a pleasure it was hearing Sir Gareth Edwards describe that Barbarians versus New Zealand game from January 1973. He talks about preparation, how things didn't go to plan, the incredible players on both sides, and of course, that try. We look at the YouTube clip, and you can watch along too by following the link attached. An extraordinary man, an extraordinary day. This is One Game at a Time. Sir Gareth Edwards, what a pleasure it is to have you. How are you? Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. I've just come in from playing golf at Royal Post Hall. Although the rain is there with us now, we've had a most delightful day. So yeah, that's fine, thank you. You're using Zoom. I mean, th- this is this is this is wonderful. This is incredible. You're moving into the 21st century, Sir Gareth. <laughs> no, if it wasn't for my son Reese, uh, who's very much a, a technical wizard, I wouldn't have a clue. So I'm delighted that he was in the vicinity and able to sort of just pop in and set it up for me. I'm a heathen when it comes to technical stuff. Uh, like I always say, if you want to sort something out on the television or what have you, call in my 11-year-old grandson, because he can do that. Usually does it with his toes. Uh, <laughs> we're from a different era. Well, we at Rugby World are so pleased uh, you've agreed to join us for one game at a time. The idea is that I get to, to speak to one player about one game that they've played in. We were spoiled for choice when we looked at your incredible career, but I... I'm afraid I couldn't really pass up the opportunity to talk about what happened in January of 1973. Is that the game that you get asked about more than any other? Yes, in all probability, if I was perfectly honest. Um, In travelling the world, as I've been fortunate enough uh, over the years, I still get surprised how many people say they were there, which we always have a laugh because, as I said, well... If all of the people who said they were there, it'd probably be two million or whatever it was. Um, no, it's lovely. It's, it's as if people have seen it on so many occasions. I think they do feel they were there, even if they weren't. Even in New Zealand, they probably still don't believe they lost the game. But uh, I get pulled to one side, tell me about this and tell me about that. And I'm just absolutely fascinated that people still wish to talk about it. The game contains what is regarded by many as the the greatest try ever scored but I like so many being of a certain age grew up with a VHS recording of the match I've watched it so many times and I have to say there are so many wonderful parts there are so many wonderful passages of play it is so much more than just one try isn't it? Yes without without question but you know 
I'm going back to oh, 15 years, maybe. I can't remember which uh, birthday we were celebrating of the match. But I remember David Ducker, myself, and a couple of the other boys, uh, we were asked to go into a booth and do something fairly similar to this. We watched the match with a live mic and gave a, an opinion. Um, and of course, in a match like that, where preparation was a minimum, to a minimum, um, for all, yes, there were moments of brilliance, but also there was a load of uh, opportunities there for you to be very critical of, uh, of, of some of the rugby. But I think that's what made the game so exciting. You know, if anything, it, we, we could believe when we, when we sat there with an open mic, we said, oh, look at that, oh, look at that, oh my word, I hope they don't show that. Whereas at the time, you're so preoccupied with what you have to do. Um, and there was a lot of tension. We can talk about that. The preparation uh, was players of today would hardly believe it. We, we came together on, on the Friday morning. And uh, Thursday, maybe some of the boys came on the Thursday, Thursday night. We had a training session at Penarth uh, on the Friday on a pitch which was a one in five slope on it. Poor Gerald Davis pulled a hamstring, um, which deflated us all because he was such a brilliant player. And um, I think we all went out for a few beers in the night. Tommy David, I think, uh, had arranged uh, for us to have a few beers in some house in, in Pontypridd. And um, of course, I think uh, we had persuaded the Barbarians Committee the majors and the doctors and what have you, could we have Carwin James to prepare us, who of course was the, uh, the Lions uh, coach out in New Zealand. Uh, they they relented, it wasn't a foregone conclusion, but they said, yes, okay, but he can't go on the field to coach you. <laughs> He'll have to stay on the touchline and, and give you some some ideas. And, and, and There's always that cliche, he'll be all right on the night, isn't they? <laughs> well, we were all praying it was going to be all right. How much, you touched on it there though, but how much of this, how quickly did it come back to that 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 touring feeling of 71? Because so many of the, the characters that were involved in the day had gone out to New Zealand for, you know, sort of the best part of four months in, in 71. How, how much of that was part of, oh, I know where I am, I know what I'm doing? Well, if you're perfectly honest, you know, and this is what, what maybe the modern player can't quite get his head around because of their preparations are so thorough. This is what we were afraid of more than anything. The, the All Blacks were coming for an opportunity to, to... Mind you, they mourned throughout the three months. They were here for three and a half months like we used to be. Uh, and they complained that this game shouldn't be played and they threatened they weren't going to turn up and all kinds of things because it was another test match in disguise, they said, you know. And at the, end of, at the end of a long tour, why should they play that? And why did they want to do that? But as we all know that a Barbarians match, by and large, doesn't always quite work out as it is. And, of course, we wouldn't have played together uh, for the best part of 18 months. Plus... Plus, I'm looking for all the excuses already. We knew this was going to be the one and only or the first opportunity that the marvellous support we'd had and supporters, not that they were out in New Zealand, 
with us because it wasn't like the modern tours where thousands and thousands of people traveled. But it would be the first time that the British public would have seen what was the nucleus of the lion side. And of course, that had captured the imagination. So the, the, the tension and the pressure was building up now. And we, being sensible, saying, well, hang on a minute. We, we, you know, the lion tour, as we always used to say, the lion tours ends when that plane lands down at Heathrow. We hadn't been together, as I said, for the best part of about 18 months. Um, so, it, you, you know, it was intriguing to see how it would work and how it came together. And maybe those few beers was the best thing we could have done because the preparation we had at Penar was abysmal. How did it, how did it work as, as regards getting your, your, your shirt? How, how did that work? Talk us through the preparation before the game. You know, how, how early did you get to the match? How, how much of the atmosphere could you take in? We walked to the match. Um, because it was just uh, just around the corner from uh, from the Arms Park, and literally we just we just walked across. And the tradition in those days was maybe an hour and a half, uh, hour and a half, hour and three quarters. There was none of this running around. <laughs> they run around more in preparation than they do in the match these days. Uh, so we, we sort of all went out way after the crowd. It was a great atmosphere there. Because what tended to happen at whether Twickenham, Murrayfield, or, or wherever, uh, and especially at Cardiff, was that because lots, most of it was standing room, most, lots of the people used to love going in early to the game to get the best viewing spot. And so the atmosphere built up about an hour and a half before the game and a bit of singing and a bit of what have you, a bit of banter. So there was a lovely feeling building up on the whole, on the whole thing. And of course, the Barbarians, true to tradition, um, had uh, a non-capped player in the side. And Bob Wilkinson uh, from Bedford, uh, a young English boy, Cambridge uh, University boy, was in the second row with Willie John. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think we went out under the... There was access to the Cardiff pitch outside. We, we might have had a little run out. That's where the photograph was taken, outside there. We might have had a quick little run for two minutes, two or three, do you know what I mean? A little stretch more than anything. Uh, and then it was uh, into the dressing room, right, boys, this is it. John Dawes would have given his words of wisdom. John was cool, calm and collected. Whereas maybe I have been delivering it or Willie John delivering it would have been a bit more on the emotion and, and, and what have you. But John Dawes, right lads, this is what it's all about. Confidence in one another, etc, etc, etc. Presentations of the jerseys, the committee, the Barbarians committee would be in the dressing room with us until possibly about half an hour before kickoff. And then they would sort of make, make themselves scarce and allow us to sort of finish off and prepare in that last half hour with a bit of rhetoric. Let's have a look at these two teams. New Zealand first. I'll go through them for people listening. 15 and fullback Joe Caram, 14 and wing Brian Williams, the centre partnership Bruce Robertson and Ian Hurst on the left wing Grant Batty, the halfback partnership Bob Burgess and Sid Going, front row Graham Whiting, Ron Orlick and Kent Lambert, in the second row Peter Whiting and Hamish McDonald for the All Blacks, and then a back row of Alistair Scowan 
Ian Kirkpatrick, captain aside from Seven and, and Alex Wiley, because of the fact that you had also spent a long time on the 71 tour with these sort of players, around these sort of players, you, you must have known these players. It must, it must have been something that you, you know, there's a few names on there that you definitely would have spent some time with socially and it, it must have been quite exciting to get out there against them again. Well, yes, we did know them. But we, you, you know, we played a good few games against most of these guys. You know, uh, Sid going in particular, obviously, as my, uh, as my opposite number. I've always played against Sid, so I knew him fairly well. But every one of these guys were uh, seasoned campaigners. Um, and Bob Burgess was a, was a brilliant outside half, which... Uh, wasn't a typical outside half that New Zealand would have played with. He was he was a superb runner of the ball. Um, Grant Batty, of course, as we all remember, was a was a ball of fire, you know, and uh, uh, ready to explode any minute. Joe Caram was a was a wonderful goal kicker. B.G. Williams, Brian, Brian, Sir Brian Williams, now of course, world class player, you know, fantastic winger. Um, and then Ian Kirkpatrick, probably one of the best, if not the, if not the best flanker that I ever played against. Alistair Scown was fast as anybody. Alex Wiley was a typical number eight, uh, hard. Peter Whiting, six foot five, six foot six. So every one of these guys were were worthy of their shirt and. Uh, there's a bit of trepidation in preparing for this match, as I've mentioned already. Now, our, with our team... Yeah, I was gonna, I'll, I'll just go through it because there's, the people listening might not be able to, to remember it, although yeah. a lot of these names are etched uh, into many people's memories. Fullback uh, J.P.R. Williams, right wing David Duckham, the centre partnership of John Dawes, who captain the side, and the Irishman Mike Gibson. On the left wing, John Bevan, you, you mentioned uh, Gerald Davis pulling out in the week. Uh, fly half, Phil Bennett, and then yourself at, at uh, scrum half. Uh, the front row, Ray McLaughlin, John Pullin, Sandy Carmichael, uh, as, a, as a wonderful triumvirate at the front. Willie John McBride, you talked about partnering with Bob Wilkinson, uh, wearing his Cambridge University socks. And then another uncapped player, Tom David, on the flank with the Irishman Fergus Slattery and Derek Quinnell. When I read through those names, there are so many leaders there are so many people there that that represented the sort of leadership in of rugby in the in the 1960s and the 1970s how, how did it all come together how did you all go in one direction to find an answer is pretty difficult because I, i've already mentioned how gerald davis had a pull out and that sort of dropped everybody's spirit for a moment uh, but of course john bevan was a fantastic young player uh, record Try scorer equaled uh, the try scoring feat in New Zealand. David Duckham was on top of his game, played centre for England by and large, but was picked on the wing with by Caroline James out in out in uh, New Zealand. Brilliant player, Mike Gibson, world class. Could play outside half, could play centre, could play full back, and of course John Dawes as a captain and as a player was. So calm, plenty of time to see everything and and give us all the confidence we wanted. I didn't, I hadn't heard it, but Phil has told me on many occasions since, as he was about to uh, leave the dressing room, Karen James said to him, just play like you played down at Stradi every Saturday. <laughs> if I'd known that, I wouldn't have been, I don't think I'd have been 
ready for that try because I thought Phil was going to kick the touch uh, because I knew him so well. Um, of course, as if Gerald Davis's loss wasn't bad enough, uh, Mervyn Davis was sharing a room with me and he woke on Saturday morning and, and sort of coughed and spluttered and said, I'm not feeling well. And I thought it was one of these come-ons, you know, morning of the game, he's just messing me about. He says, oh, I think I've got flu, he said. Uh, and of course he did. So hence the reason why Tommy David became the other uncapped player, because he fitted in. Derek Quinnell, who was going to play on the flank, played at number eight. And of course, as disappointed I was before the game, when I look back and I realise that both those players played such a dominant part in the try that I was able to score in, in, in those first two minutes. I'm going to say, let's press play. And actually, I'm going to ask you, because we, we're going to use the 14-minute highlight clip on YouTube. The link is attached to the podcast description. I'm going to just let it roll for three minutes. Right. And then I'm going to stop it. And if you'd be so kind, I would like you to talk us through what you can see and indeed what you can remember. Right. Well, George de Merck, I forgot to mention him. He was the French referee. Couldn't have been the be- couldn't have been a better referee for this type of game. Maybe not for the All Blacks, but for us, because he was a very uh, progressive, excellent referee who wanted to keep the game going. And um, anyway, not 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 a great start, but there we are. Um, Sid and I got to know one another very quickly then, and uh, here we had to get the, try and get the scrum straight. Um, just obviously, obviously unaware of what was going to happen in that first ten minutes or what have you. Now, if you look at some of this, uh, most people today like to tell me, "Oh, there would have been a penalty there. There would have been a penalty here. There would have been a penalty there for a high tackle." Um, and then, of course, the ball just comes back across the line. No, there's a long kick from Mike Gibson into the corner. Sid going, hoofs it anywhere. And the first 10 minutes was a complete mess, I thought, before the, well, what, what was it, six or seven minutes maybe, uh, was a complete mess. Lineouts today, they're lifted, lovely clean ball to the scrum half. I had to take out an insurance policy waiting for, in the lineout for a ball to come back from there. JPR gets his head taken off. Sid going again, wants to keep the ball going. He's in two minds. It's a bit alien for him to play in this type of game. He's not, they're not quite sure what they want to do. And I'll remember this for as long as I live because I'm just ambling back. And when I saw BG Williams kick the ball deep and I saw Phil going back, I thought to myself, oh, thank God for that. Because, you know, in soccer parlance, it meant that somebody needed to put their foot on the ball. And I thought Phil would take the touch. When in actual fact, it came back the other way. I said, oh, my God, what's he doing now? And um, But if I was to look at that movement, you see, what I would... You'll get a replay now. Yeah, but what I would praise everybody... And, and the modern supporter who's watching it all, it was improvisation. Phil Bennett, I thought, was going to kick to touch, and that's why I'm in the way. I've just turned around there and come back to join the, the movement. And I thought, as a scrum half, I better get there in case the ball 
uh, gets rolled back to me. I'll have to be there to move. Um, and so I just got into place and, and I shouted to Derek Quinnell in actual fact in Welsh, told him I throw it here. <laughs> so he just rolled it, rolled it off. And, and just to satisfy a few people who are obsessed by technology these days and, oh, the modern game, that was a forward pass. No. And I had it on good authority from Jordan Merck, only a, unfortunately passed away a couple of weeks ago. But I had good authority from a friend of mine who had met him uh, only in the last month who said, and tell Gareth it was not a forward pass. <laughs> the, I mean, the start of it all, and 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 that the, the crowd were, you know, vociferous. They were, they were, they were, they were so alive, and it must have, it must have come through to you in such a big way. Do, do, can you remember that feeling uh, of, of, you know, that start? The noise was like a tidal wave, you know, and and if for a, we couldn't have prayed, obviously, for a better start. It was a bit of a messy, like I said. Some bad kick came back and forth and what have you. But that try set the whole tone of the game. Let's have a look. Let's press, let's press play here at three minutes and five on the clock because here's two passages of play that, that lead to very near tries in different ways. But both started, and we've mentioned him, by the brilliance of David Duckham. His sidestep, I defied logic, you know. He, he, was super, he was very, very quick as well. Uh, and then here we see this, this sidestep and swerve. And fair play, there's Tommy David, look, who just come in before the game. Uh, Fergus Slattery was quite outstanding, but was one of the best uh, flank forwards in the world at the time. Uh, and this, yeah, I remember this movement. Uh, Karam, I think, just about got John Bevan in the corner. Yeah, it was Alistair Scowan. Oh, no, it's Scowan, Alistair Scowan, in actual fact, yes. Uh, I remember that as if it was yesterday because I thought, oh, my word, this is even better than we could ever have anticipated, you know. And so it proved when you look at the quality of some of the movements. Um, here, comes, here comes Duckham again, JPR on the scissors, and watch this for a yeah. dummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and take it from me, these, these all blacks weren't, weren't coming there to be lambs to the slaughter, you know. They wanted to be uh, in, in, in the driving seat. Uh, and yet, I think the way in which the game started, it put a bit of doubt in their mind. Even though, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, you're, we're enjoying this, and don't think for a minute that I'm not. Um, but then, if you fast forward it, the All Blacks, typical of them, came back straight after the half time. And I've always said, you know, had it not been for the strength of Ray McLaughlin, our super prop, I think I think um, Kirkpatrick would have scored, and then the whole game could have changed just after half time. But we held them out. How how we did, I don't know. But again, it wasn't the brilliance of our back play. It was the other attributes of of our forwards super forwards like McLaughlin and Willie John who kept them out right on the line. We're pressing play again on the clip at around four minutes 35 and that, that try has been disallowed for a forward pass. John Dawes has it chalked off, but it, it meant another scrum. And, and this is where Fergus Slattery makes a real nuisance of himself. Talk us through this. Yeah, oh, well, yes. I think I, I got my hand onto uh, Sid going and the ball just rolled over and it showed how quickly 
uh, he he reacted to it all. Um, Fergus Slattery was was just quite an outstanding. Not a big man, and certainly not by today's standards. Certainly not, but very very fast and a great rugby, uh, great rugby brain. Yeah, I I spoiled, I was able to spoil Sid there, which gave me pleasure. <laughs> and then he picked it up and nobody went. Bill Bennett kicking at goal as well. This, I mean, in today's uh, terms, it, it looks a, it looks a bit strange. But how difficult was this ball to to get this up in the air? <laughs> oh, well, well, Phil, he was a very good football player, so you know he could put that ball down, take very little time, and just go and chip it over, which is what he did do. And Listen, I can remember looking at the scoreboard and it was I couldn't believe this was beyond our wildest dreams. All those nightmares we'd had preparing for this game. Uh, all of a sudden, we were in the ascendancy and it seemed that whatever we turned ourselves to, it, you know, the moves turned to gold, so to speak, because you're absolutely right. John Bevan and um, Mike Gibbs, several of those boys came within a whisker of, of scoring tries. We're at five minutes and, and 50 seconds on the, on the clock. And, and this, is the, this leads to the John Bevan try. But I want to talk about the pressure that you were putting on because many of your scores came from the pressure that you were putting on the All Blacks and the mistakes that they made. Yeah, well, that could have only... Yeah, well done. See how strong John Bevan was? God alive. He was only 20, 21, uh, just out of college. And... <coughs> Of course, he went to make a great career for himself in rugby league after that. But he was such a strong player. Um, and by this time, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to say that the All Blacks were um, panicking somewhat because uh, they, they don't, they, they very, rel- uh, very rarely do that. But, but the pressure was on them so much, our confidence grew so quickly in, in, in that. It was as if uh, the, the Lions, British and Irish Lions tour came back to all of us, came into our bodies straight away. It's, it's hard to describe, Sam, uh, of, of the whys and wherefores because players who play would, would appreciate it's the spirit and, and the strength of that spirit that really got us going. And we've frozen the frame on, on John Bevan there, as you, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, a side note on the sideburns. I mean, was there a sideburn competition going on? There's some absolute crackers out there. Oh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say competition, but of course, you know, it was the beginning of the Beatles and and, 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 and what have you. And, and it was a sign of the times. JPR still has his sideburns today. Uh, exactly the same. A little whiter. But uh, he, he's not letting them go for anybody. Half-time, 17-0 to the Barbarians. You, you mentioned there that the fact that it, it perhaps couldn't have gone much better. But just talk to me about half-time, because you stay out there. Yes, as we always did in those days. You know, it was, uh, and it was only about five, five minutes. I don't think it was much more. Um, and then we'd, we'd have a quick team talk. Captain would, would bring us together for all of our sort of carefree rugby. We were very pragmatic as well. You know, there was a there was a professionalism and the experience we'd all gained and the confidence we'd all gained in New Zealand was now coming to the fore. We knew, we knew without question there was going to be a, a sort of a reaction from 
from New, from New Zealand. And, and indeed, we didn't have to wait long for it. I think I mentioned earlier that uh, they they virtually scored from from the first move. Well, actually, as the, as, as it goes through here, Gareth, um, we, we we've got about seven minutes on, on the clip. We it ends yeah. up with a scrum, and I think the first points actually uh, are, are from Joe Caram's boot because you're penalised for feeding at the scrum, which I never thought happened. Well, <laughs> neither did I, uh, and uh, and I said, "Oh, come on." Uh, George, that wasn't that was straight. Um, no, well, you can see what happens as well. Um, the scrum wasn't the scrum wasn't really solid, and, and it was as much my fault. Maybe there was a bit of pressure. I just wanted to. John John Pullin was one of the world's great hookers, and he was a fantastic striker of the ball. Uh, the scrum was swaying back and forth, and. You know, what I said to George was, George, what do I want to put the ball in not straight for under the post? Because it, it was a straightforward three points. It, it was a life of the scrum half in those days. And, and you mentioned the fact that you would have been expecting a backlash from this very good New Zealand side. And it comes in the shape of eventually a Grant Batty uh, score, brilliant pickup by... Bob Burgess, Bob Burgess. Bob Burgess, yeah. 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 Uh, and then Grant, uh, Grant Batty scurries in. I mean... This was how good they were. Yes, yeah, without question. And we knew it was going to come pretty quickly. And then, I think it's just after this, I don't know if, it, if this will show it, that is where I think the game changed when uh, Ray McLaughlin held held uh, Kirky up. He, he was over the line, but he couldn't ground the ball. And, and BG Williams there, what a lovely player he was. And of course, this this man was a firebrand. I think, I think we see, I think he gets, I think we on this highlights clip, we do get a little bit, I think it's here, uh, around nine minutes and 18 seconds, we get a little bit of a breakout. I think it's, is it David Duckham who, who has a bit of a, yeah, because the ball is on the floor. Here. Oh, it's against you. David came to my help, I think, which was great, but he wanted to take on the world. And Tommy David, Tommy David tells me to this day, he said he, he had a bit of a confrontation with him. And apparently he lifted, without realizing, he lifted Tommy off the ground, and he went. So Tommy thought to himself, "Oh, <laughs> he's, he might be small, but he, he's pretty strong." So anyway, this is when we were under under pressure, um, and I think we did very well in actual in actual fact because with all this pressure, if you look back, I think in the body, that was good. That was the. The, our big concern was actually being able to organize ourselves against a side that had been together for, for three months. Don't forget now, again, I'm reminding people, we'd only come together for, for two days one and one practice run. It was a question of who organized the defense, but I know we had experienced players in John Dawes and Mike Gibson in the middle. And, you know, these boys had played together, but it was... Backs to the wall stuff, this was, Sam. I can tell you that without question. And it's coming back to me of, of uh, come on, boys, we can't throw it away now. You know, don't, don't let's throw it away now. But we were under the cosh, as they say. We come to this, this passage of play. We're around the 11 minute and 20 second mark. And, and arguably, it, it, when we watch this again, this is the passage of, of the game. The incredible nature of this, conf, uh, of this contest was evident for all to see and, and finally rounded off by JPR. T talk us through what you can see here. 
again, you know, our, our forwards were getting stuck in as well. Um, <laughs> I thought Phil Bennett was going to come with me to the blind side, but I, but I had to, I just throw a reverse pass to get it back. Uh, ball on the floor, but JPR was such a physical specimen. You know, it took two or three people to get him down, even if they could tackle him. Uh, we got the ball away, and I think it was, it was a lovely try. Mike Gibson comes back as I did. Duckham as well. A um, lot of interplay, uh, which when I've watched it again, I, I find it defies logic for a side who had just come together. But uh, yes, I know we had been together in New Zealand, which I keep repeating. Uh, and then Tommy David here, wonderful pass back inside, uh, keeping the ball going. Um, Ball doesn't go out here, stays in, duck him again. That's right. There's a second movement here with David Duckham, uh, as well as I think he might give to Mike Gibson or John Dawes, JPR. That's right. And Mike Gibson. Mike Gibson, I can remember this. He was going to have his head taken off. And I think he was so frightened, he ducked and he ducked underneath Grant Barty. <laughs> I think gave the ball to JPR, who scored. Yeah, it was a cracking try. Fantastic. So, you, you know, there was some outstanding rugby and outstanding moments in it. Does it, does it, I mean, it sounds, does it come back to you? But, but in a sense, watching it now, can you, can you sort of almost smell the, smell the air that you, you smell on the day? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I know what you're saying. Yes. And when you watch it, I still get the thrill of it all. Um, sometimes disbelief, contrary to what a lot of people might think, I don't watch it every other day or something. You know, I may I may not watch it for years and years. You know, and, but every now and again, I might walk into a function room somewhere in the world, and lo and behold, there it is on the on the wall, being shown. You know, at a function or a dinner or what have you. So we've had the opportunity to watch it on a regular basis but it's not something i do switching it on or what have you but it's funny how your brain remembers those moments and what you were thinking at that time of oh what a great move that was what a fantastic move that was and and admiring the the skills for instance of mike gibson and david decker because i was probably trundling up behind trying to get into position, make sure, because it was a very fast game. You know? It sounds, uh, sounds interesting there, then you describe it, because you almost sound like a fan. You know what I mean? Like with the best seat in the house, you, you, are, you are admiring the play that is going on like everyone else. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And I think it was that kind of game, you know, um, especially if there was a period in that second half where New Zealand came back into the game more and more so. But we then... Had a, had a second wind and kept going again. And they did well to keep us out uh, because our confidence was growing. And uh, as you said, David Duckham was opening them up. Uh, Mike Gibson with his subtle play, lovely, lovely passing. Uh, John Dawes, again, you know, was so cool, calm and calculating uh, that, you know, he could open the whole defence with just the timing of his pass. Uh, JPR, of course, was an absolute bundle of energy uh, and physicality. <laughs> you know, you didn't want to be in his way, uh, even as a teammate. So there was lots of things to admire, quite honestly, Sam. Um, 
and and I and I thank you for for showing a few, a few moments of it to me again. You know. What about this ending, though? Because the the crowd were on the pitch. We we see pictures of you being hoisted uh, hoisted aloft. You you talked about it at the start the fact that New Zealand were unhappy about the fact that it was it was a Test match in in everything but name. It, it must have felt like that at the end as well. The the most important thing, yeah, yeah, you know, even though it was a Barbarians game, we've all said it from the moment we we are capped. First of all, we play our first games with the Barbarians. It's the way we have in the Barbars, you know, and uh, it's it's the way in which they want to play the game. Um, and you've heard me say it maybe all along the way, and you can see the disappointment in Kirkpatrick's face there. That for him, that was no no joke. That was no sort of oh, rugby was the winner today and all that kind of thing. Both sides wanted to win that for for obvious reasons. Uh, the, the 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 barbarians, because of the number of uh, British and Irish lions who, who were there, we wanted to show it hadn't been a fluke out there, and they wanted revenge. So and to have had the type of game that we had, which we'd all sort of maybe hoped or willed or dreamt of or hoped for had actually materialised. One of, one of the things we haven't really touched upon, and, and obviously playing the game, you would have been unaware of it, but it, it, it's something that I think needs noting. And I, obviously I'm a little bit biased as, as someone involved in rugby media, but you, you must have subsequently watched the game and, and listened to your dear friend Cliff Morgan's words that accompanied it and, and the words that have accompanied it into the pantheon of greatness. Some of the commentary lines and some of the things that he was able to conjure up were truly extraordinary. And, and they complemented an incredible game of rugby so well, didn't they? It did indeed look, uh, as you probably are aware of this, but uh, Cliff wasn't supposed to do it. He was he, head of outside broadcast. And Bill McLaren, uh, and, and what a voice he had and what a knowledge he had. And I was lucky to work with him for a number of years as well. But Cliff having to take it on because of, uh, at, at the very last minute, showed the quality, A, of his, uh, of his uh, ability in the English language, but more so because of his knowledge of the game and to choose, he seemed to choose the right words at the right time to describe it, that I think only an international player who's been in that situation, who understood what it all meant, could actually deliver those sentences at those times. Because some of those move, movements and some of that play was almost leaving people speechless. It's been an utter treat talking to you, Sir Gareth Edwards. An utter... It, it really is something for me, you know, that obviously, you know, having as I say, sort of watch that game time and time again to hear your thoughts on it has been truly, truly remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for everything. We could have looked at so many things from your career, uh, but, but you know, on behalf of Rugby World, it, it, I would like just to say our, our gratitude to you, uh, not only for a fabulous career, but for sitting down with us today and giving us your one game at a time. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Sam.